Lord Jesus, we exalt you, the King of all kings, the Lord, exclusive and only sovereign Lord of the universe, seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord Jesus, we exalt you, we love you, we praise you, we magnify you, Lord. Father, I pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the word in my heart this morning as I teach this passage. I pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the word and the life of each person that is here in the heart of each person that's here as we study your word. Lord, let it come to life. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. You said heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, let your word come to life this morning as we study it. Give us a front row seat to what's taking place here at Tyre and Sidon in this passage. Lord, we love you. We magnify you. For it's in Jesus' beautiful and awesome victorious, eternal, powerful name, we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Please continue in a spirit of worship as you have a seat this morning. Thankful that everyone's here and we get to get into the word this morning. This is my favorite time. This is my favorite hour of the week when I get to get together with my brothers and sisters and study God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two double-edged sword. At Calvary Chapel, uh, we, uh, part of our worship is just, is just walking through the word. It's just walking through the word. You know, my, my job as a shepherd, according to the pastoral epistles, is preach the word in season, out of season. Just teach it. As, as Charles Spurgeon said, just let the lion out the cage and let him do his job. That's all we do is we just teach the word and let the word of God and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is ministering during the word, but those are the two things that change and transform our hearts. Amen? So please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. We're going to finish this chapter, um, verses 21 through 39, but what I want to do by way of introduction is I want to read these first um, eight verses so we get our minds oriented in the direction that God's word has taken us this morning. And man, this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a barn burner. It's gonna be a doozy. I love studying it this week and I'm so excited to present it to you this morning. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 says, then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Another short prayer there. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. There's another, another short prayer, like as we saw with Peter a couple weeks ago. Anyway, verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, 
O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, as we studied the gospel of Matthew, Lord. Open our hearts. Let us continue in a spirit of worship. Holy Spirit, minister to us this morning your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. So we're looking this morning at Matthew verses 21 through 39. And I want to give you up front what what my plans are this morning. We are going to zoom in really, really close to verses 21 through 28. I'm going to spend 80% of my message, maybe 75% of my message, on verses 21 through 28. And then we're going to go up for a high altitude view over verses 29 through 39. Because I felt like the meat of this text is in the first eight verses. After this encounter with the Phoenician woman, we see Jesus healing, and then we see him uh, feeding feeding the 4,000. But so we're going to zoom in close at verses 21 through 28 just to give you a heads up. So the title of my message this morning is A Great Faith. Now what is great faith? Well, first off, we have to start off with what is faith? What is faith according to Hebrews 11.1? 1? Faith is what? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Most Christians know what faith is. If they've been reading their Bible and, and, and they know what the scripture says, they have a good understanding of what faith is. But what is great faith? If, someone's, if someone was to ask you, how would you describe great faith, what would you say? Think about that for a minute. How would you describe great faith? Because scripture says it, Jesus said it in our passage, he describes it as great faith. So there is a a higher level. There is a a greater faith. There is a more solid faith. How would we describe it? If you had to paint a picture of faith, what would that portrait look like? Who would that portrait look like? We all think back to relatives, family members who were strong in the faith, loved ones, people we know that were strong in the faith. I think about my grandmother and my grandfather, how strong they were in the faith. It was through their prayers and through their intercession that God brought me to faith in Christ because I saw an entire life that was solidly dedicated to the Lord. They were unmoved in their walk with Christ and we need to have that same great faith. What adjectives would you use to describe, keyword, great faith? Well, when you leave Calvary Chapel Irmo at about 11.45, 11.50-ish while you're eating lunch, I will have, you will have five words to think on that I'm going to give you at the end of my message that we're going to see in the text that describe what great faith looks like. So let's look at the Word of God and see how he describes great faith this morning in our story of the Phoenician woman. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 15, look at verse 21. It'll be on the screen if you don't have, if you'd like to look up there. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So here we have in this opening verse, verse 21, Jesus leaves the region of the Sea of Galilee. He actually leaves the territory of Israel and he goes northwest to the coastal plains of Phoenicia, to Tyre and Sidon. This today, if you look on a map, this is modern day Lebanon. And what you need to understand in this text, what's important is he's going outside of Israel. Okay, he's going to the Gentiles. He's taking his Jewish disciples and he's leaving Palestine and Galilee and he's going up to this region in Lebanon. 
And look at verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now we're going to zoom real close on this verse and pull everything we can out of it extrapolate everything we can out of it so we can see exactly what's going on and so that you can feel and understand and know the impact of what's taking place here because this is huge especially in the jewish mind this is huge for jesus to be going up to this region and doing ministry okay so we have a woman of canaan this woman she was a gentile canaanite okay canaanites if you know anything about the Old Testament, they were well known for their abominations and their evil practices, okay? Okay, uh, in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 23, Jeremiah chapter 25, Ezekiel chapter 26, Joel chapter 3, Amos chapter 1, and Zechariah chapter 9, if you, go all, if you go read all those passages, and you can go back and listen to the video recording if you need to write them down and study them, you will see that God pronounced a severe judgment in all those passages on this region of, of Tyre and Sidon for their evil practices and their paganism. They were very wicked and evil people. They practiced evil. They practiced witchcraft. They were into paganism. And with that understanding of the Old Testament and what was taking place there, that gives us the likely scenario of what leads to this story, okay? If you understand the culture and the background, you'll, you'll be like, oh, yeah, man, this lady and, and her daughter, this demon-possessed, man, they were involved in all kind of evil, all kind of paganism. So that is the backdrop. It's a very dark place. It's pretty cool how Jesus goes into a very dark place. He goes into a very dark place to do what? to shine the light of his gospel, to shine the light of his truth. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We're gonna see in our text this morning, the gospel is first for the Jews, but then it's for the Gentiles, and it's for the entire world. Somehow, their entire Sinai, wherever she's at, in Phoenicia, she hears about Jesus. Maybe it was by word of mouth. Maybe it was by divine revelation. But how many can testify to the truth that just the name of Jesus, it brings hope? Just hearing that name, just hearing that name. When I heard the name of Jesus for the first time and, and I considered all the chains and, and darkness I was in in 1992. When I heard the name of Jesus, you know what I heard? I heard freedom. When I heard the name of Jesus, I heard forgiveness of sin. When I heard the name of Jesus, I found freedom and forgiveness for my guilty soul and my guilty life. His name brings hope. Just the name of Jesus, Yeshua Messiah, brings hope hope his name alone and then after you hear his name and then you hear the good news that he died on the cross he rose from the grave he came to forgive sins he came to give new life he came to remove you from being under god's wrath to under god's blessing it's a beautiful name and i can't help but to think as she heard that name of jesus by divine revelation maybe or by word of mouth we're not sure 
that brought hope is she says, I gotta find Jesus. I gotta find Jesus. I, 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 I have got to go pursue him. I have got to go have a talk with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Israel's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region. Now, this one verse, verse 22, um, I'm pulling out three characteristics of great faith in this one Bible verse. I'm gonna give you a total of five, but let's look at three of them. The first, the next part of the verse in verse 22, he says, it just says uh, five words, and she, or, and cried out to him. So we see in the text that she cried out to him. So this brings me to my first characteristic of great faith. Great faith is a desperate faith. It is a desperate faith. It is a, Lord, I need you. Please come. Please help. It says it right there. Uh, she cried out to him. She is crying out. She's saying, Lord, I need you, and I need you badly. I, she, she's in a bad situation. Her daughter's in a bad situation. She's likely in a bad situation because of the culture she's in, okay? And she's crying out for help. Keep in mind, this is who? Her daughter. This is her daughter. This is her flesh and blood. Nothing crushes a parent more than to see their child suffering from bad decisions or from the deception of sin, it, will ca it causes you to cry out in desperation, okay? If you've had a loved one, if you've had someone close to you, maybe a friend or a relative that's made bad decisions and you see them wrecking their life, it crushes you. And it causes you to go into a mode, it should cause you to go into a mode of desperation in your faith. This says, Lord, I need you. Please, Lord, work mightily. In tragic and difficult times, you and I need to draw close to God, okay? Unfortunately for many of us, when we go through tragic and difficult times, people fall away from God. That's not the way it's supposed to work, friends. That's not the way it's supposed to work. God is not the author of evil, okay? And when bad things and tragic things happen in this world because of man's choices or because of Satan's attack, we need to run to our heavenly father. We need to run to the Lord Jesus Christ and not let up, but uh, persevere in our faith. So number one, great faith is a desperate faith. We see it right here in our text as she is coming to the Lord Jesus. In that phrase, I pulled it from that phrase, she cried out to him. The second element of great faith, just a few words down, it says, and she says this, have mercy, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. So the second element of great faith that we're, that we're painting a picture of faith is, uh, great faith is humble faith, it's humble faith. Humble faith is not arrogant. Humble faith is not prideful. Humble faith recognizes your sin. Humble faith recognizes our depravity. Humble faith recognizes the plight of our sin and our guilt and our separation from God. Okay, and it humbly sees the mercy, the grace, 
and the truth that's offered in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it humbles itself and says, man, I'm guilty, but I need that. I need grace. I need mercy. And that's what's taking place here. Her faith is, is, is humble. It understands the need for grace. Uh, have mercy on me, she says. Mercy comes to us. Mercy comes to you and I. You experience mercy when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to Christ in repentance and faith, you experience mercy. Mercy. Mercy is God's kindness. Mercy is God's goodness. Mercy is God's grace. Mercy is God's favor. Mercy is God's compassion. And I got that straight from Vine's Expository Dictionary as a definition of mercy. We rightfully deserve judgment because of our rebellion, because of our sin. But God chose, delighted, sovereignly chose to show us mercy, okay? So in that mercy that he's shown us should humble us and say, Lord, you are so good to me. I am so thankful that you're in my life. You've shown me mercy. I was, I was that rebel child that, that, you, that I deserved to be put over the knee and given a good old-fashioned butt whooping. But he showed us mercy by placing the punishment for our sin on the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He has shown us mercy in Christ. Friends and family, you've experienced God's mercy. You're completely forgiven of all your sin, and we praise the Lord for that. So great faith is one, desperate. Uh, secondly, great faith is, is humble faith. Let's look at the third one. It's in this verse. It says, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. The third element of having great faith in this life is having holy faith. Holy faith. Um, great faith is holy faith. Notice what she calls him. O Lord, son of David. And this is coming from the lips of a Gentile in the northern regions outside of Israel. You know, the Pharisees fought against Jesus. The Sadducees fought against Jesus. The unpeople believe. But here you have this Gentile woman who's desperate. And she, her faith is holy. And she calls him Lord, son of David. A holy faith, which is a, a great faith in Christ for us today, acknowledges that Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is the creator. The one who walked the land of Palestine. The one who the four gospels are written about. The one that suffered and died on the cross for our sin. And all that humiliation. He is the sovereign, eternal Lord and God. And when we acknowledge that truth and believe that truth, our faith is holy. Okay? It, it, it is holy. It is divine. And that According to the text, the great, he's going to call it, say this is great faith. That is great faith. That is great faith. It's more than just this, well, I believe everything's going to turn out. You know, some people say, well, I just believe everything's going to turn out. What do you mean what's going to turn out? Who's going to turn it out? Who's going to fix it? Who's going to do what? What, 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 what does that mean? 
But when our faith, the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ, and it displays these characteristics I'm talking about, it is called, Jesus said it, not me, great faith. And we acknowledge, she says, son of David. When we, when we acknowledge that Jesus is the king of kings, Lord of lords, and he is Israel's Messiah. He is Israel's Messiah. The scripture is very clear. He came first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. We'll talk more about that in a minute. A holy faith stands in all of his majesty, his power, and his glory. Do we stand? Do you stand? Do we stand in all of his power? of his majesty and his glory. Do we understand who Christ is? Do we understand that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords? He is the sovereign Lord. In Romans chapter 10, verse nine, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. In the context of Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that's a death sentence. Because the epistle written to the church at Rome, in Rome, in the culture of Rome, there was one Lord. And his name was Caesar. So to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saying that all others are not. And that there's one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a holy faith. Make sure Jesus Christ is not only your Savior, but make sure he is your Lord. And acknowledge that. And let your holy Faith, humble faith, desperate faith become great faith, as we're going to see in this woman. Now, this, this story turns, man. This story turns quickly. And you're like, what in the world is going on in this text? What is going on in this passage? Look at verse 23. I'm, I'm just going to read uh, the first seven words. Verse 23. But he answered her not a word. Now, the he there is Jesus. Jesus does not answer her. Now, this seems strange to our understanding of who Jesus is. I mean, really, Jesus, what, what are you thinking? What are you doing? <clears throat> it says there's no response. There's, there's no response to this woman from the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what, is going, what is going on here? There's this moment of silence. It's like, you tell God something and you're waiting for an answer and God didn't, Jesus doesn't answer. You're like, what, what's going on? What is happening here? One of the greatest challenges to our faith in this life <clears throat> is when God is silent. It's when God is silent. What do you do when God is silent? What do you do when God is silent, when there appears to be no answer, no voice, no answer found in Scripture, no, you're not hearing God, you feel like you're not getting an answer. The world watches with contempt and they shake their head, a lot like the people did there at the crucifixion. It says they shook and they wagged their heads. You know, saying he because he couldn't save himself. He said he'll rebuild the temple. He can save people, but he can't. He can't save himself. What what is going on here? And this brings me to the fourth element of great faith. And here it is: great faith is a persevering faith. It's a testing. 
Uh, that's the way I, Pastor David sees it. It's the testing. Am I going to wait upon the Lord? And, you know, what am I going to do in this moment uh, uh, when God is silent? And here's what you do. You trust God in the silence. You wait. And you, you, haven't, heard, you haven't got your answer from heaven. He hasn't come through yet. You trust him in the silence. That's what we Christians do when the answer has not come yet. We wait upon the Lord. A persevering faith is a continuing faith in spite of difficult situations. And in that waiting, my hope and my prayer, our hope and our prayer should be that God grows us in our faith in him. It says, Lord, I will wait upon you in the silence for your answer. And I'm gonna stay the course. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, but those that wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Just to be completely honest with you, I should probably be sitting down there right now listening to this message, okay? Because as I was studying it this week, and my wife will testify to you that I have a difficult time waiting I have a difficult time waiting upon the Lord, catastrophizing, and just not, not keeping it all together when things are not going the way I wish they would go. And so I'm preaching to myself this morning, hopefully a couple of you guys I'm, I'm ministering to also, but we have to wait upon the Lord. We have to wait upon the Lord. Persevering faith can be like a roller coaster, but... It hangs on to the promises of God. I don't care what the world thinks. Let me repeat that. I don't care what the world thinks or even people within the church. As long as, Pastor, as, long as David Ford has, lung, has air in his lungs, I will choose to have faith in difficult situations. I refuse to accept gloom and despair. That's not word of faith theology. That's called hope. That's called hope. Hope believes, hope trusts, hope sees the answer even when it's not within sight. As long as I've got air in my lungs and I've got life, I am gonna believe and I am gonna trust God to move in supernatural ways for his glory and for his honor and for his will when I see bad situations. Lord, I lift this situation up to you and I'm gonna be like that persevering widow and I'm gonna to continue to go to my heavenly father in prayer and lift up the situation until I see a change. And I'm not gonna give up hope and neither should you. So when God is silent, persevere, stay the course and trust him in the silence. Trust him in the waiting, amen? All right, let's, halfway through verse 23, it says, and his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. I could just see the disciples, man, they're tired. They're worn out. All this ministry, all these people, they're like, Lord, just, just do whatever you gotta do with her. Take care of her. Let's go get some rest because they're worn out. But look at what he says in verse 24. But he answered and said, uh, I was not sent except to the lost sheep 
of the house of Israel. Okay? So here in, in verse 24, Jesus reminds his disciples that he is exclusively Israel's Messiah and King. Okay? Jesus came first for Israel and then for the Gentiles. This is going to get a little more difficult. we got a couple more verses to work our way through. And Paul said in Romans 1.16, talking about the idea that Christ came first for Israel, then for the world. In Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So it's for everyone, but the rest of the verse says this, For the Jew first, but also for the Greek. So Israel, they were served first at his coming. They rejected him. He put them on the shelf. Now we're in the church age. Okay? But one day, he will turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. So Christ came into the world. Israel rejected him. He put them on the shelf. Uh, then he turned his attention to the church, the church age. Well, the next prophetic event on God's time calendar is the rapture of the church. And after the rapture of the church, God will turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. And we call it the seven-year great tribulation. Jeremiah calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. It's when he turns his attention back to the nation of Israel, he pours out his spirit, and he brings them to himself. So according to Romans, you got three whole chapters you can study on the subject. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 uh, God has a plan for the nation of Israel, and he will turn his attention back to them. But again, verse 24, Jesus' statement, look at it yourself. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But we also know just by way of his uh, coming to see this Gentile lady and the, the remaining portions of God's word, he came for all, but it was Israel first. We got some more difficult passages to maneuver our way through. Or so, not difficult passages, but passages that you read and it's gonna produce questions in your mind. What in the world is going on there? What is he saying? Pastor David's gonna give it his best shot. So, verse 25. Verse 25, we're gonna see the fifth element of great faith. It says, then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. The fifth element of great faith of this Phoenician woman is what? Her faith was worshipful. It was worshipful. Proskuneo, some of your translations uh, say uh, she came and she bowed down to him. It's the same word that she used, worship, bow down. The, the word proskuneo, it means to fall before him in adoration and a praise and ascribe worth to him. Nancy DeMoss says this, and I quote, worship is a believer's response to God's revelation of himself. It is expressing wonder, awe, and gratitude. That's why I love that song we sang, Gratitude, earlier. It's expressing wonder, awe, and gratitude for the worthiness and the greatness and the goodness of our Lord. My question for you this morning is, do you worship? Do you worship? Do you, do you express wonder at how awesome God is? Do you express your awe and amazement of his creation? Do you stand in awe? of the cross? Do you stand in awe of what he's done in your life? All those things from creation to the cross to what he's done inside your life, it should produce a sense of awe and wonder that causes your heart 
to worship for his indescribable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. The more you fall in love with Christ, the more you study his word, the more you dive into the word of God, the deeper your worship will go, okay? A shallow understanding of scripture produces shallow worship. A deeper understanding of scripture and God's word will produce a deeper worship. That's why we have to give much attention to the teaching of God's word so that it exalts our worship and that we are worshipful people because when you're worshipful, as we see in the text, you're gonna have great faith. It's gonna be a faith that stands out. Amen? Let's, uh, verse 26, excuse me, verse 26, here's another one of those passages like, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> so Calvary Chapel, man, we go verse by verse. You can't skip around the difficult, you can't go around the difficult passages. You gotta come face to face with every text and dive into it and, and figure out what, what's being said here. And we have to look at culture, gr grammar, we have to look at everything to see what's being said in the text. But look at verse 26. Here it goes. It's another one of those difficult ones. But he answered, Jesus answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. At first, looking at verses 26 and 27, these seem like very um, harsh. This seems like a very harsh and unkind statement. But Jesus would select the words he's using is expressing God's sovereignty, God's majesty, and God's provision over the nation of Israel. So you see, as I said a while ago, they are uniquely invited to God's table of salvation first. And you and I in the entire Gentile world around the nation of Israel, we are around the table enjoying the benefits of God's eternal plan first offered to Israel. In other words, what this is saying is he came for Israel first, okay? That was the mission. He was Israel's Messiah. He was the Jewish Messiah. Israel, uh, not the Gentiles, we're given everything. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter nine. I believe I have this verse for the screen. In Romans chapter nine, verses one through four, specifically at the very last, I'm gonna read it, the, the whole passage, but specifically at verse four, talking about how Israel was um, unique. They were, they, were, they were served first. They are special people. Romans chapter nine, verses one through four. Um, and Paul's writing this because he's realizing that the, the Jewish nation of Israel has crucified the Savior, they've rejected the Messiah, and Paul writes these words. He says, for I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brother and my countrymen according to the flesh. And here it is, who are Israelites? To whom pertain, they were Israel, were given the adoptions, they were given the glory, they were given the covenants, they, 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 the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, okay? They were uniquely given 
everything. The Bible that's in your hand right now is, 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 was created probably here in the United States by a book manufacturer, a publisher, but the words that you're reading from the text of Scripture, even those words alone came from the nation of Israel through the prophets, through the apostles. Now, we know they rejected Christ, but one day, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Revelation chapter 4, verse 20, chapters 4 through verse 20, one day he will turn his attention back to the people that are the apple of his eye. And there will be a revival. Y'all have heard it, the 144,000 that's talked about in the book of Revelation. There will be a great Jewish revival and a great uh, evangelism explosion even during the Great Tribulation. And it will be led by the nation of Israel. If you've ever studied the book of Revelation, it's a fascinating book to study. You, you need to know your Old Testament. You need to know your New Testament. But if you look at it, if you break it down, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, what's it all about? The churches. The churches. It's all about churches. The church, what's taking place in church. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, it says, after these things. So from Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, to Revelation chapter 20, there's no mention of Christian. You will not find Christian. You will not find church. You will not find anything to do with the theology of the church because it's the nation of Israel during the Great Tribulation evangelizing the world. So they are special. They are unique. They are the people of Israel, and we are the church. We, we here at Calvary Chapel, we are not replacement the theology. We don't follow replacement theology. The church, we do not believe the church has replaced Israel, okay? We believe that God has a unique plan for them and a unique plan for the church. He's gonna bring it all together for his honor and for his glory. Amen? Verse 28, verse 28 says, Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. There it is. O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And look at this, man. I, can't, I bet she cried, she weeped, she fell to her knees in just this beautiful joy, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. She, don't, don't, miss, don't, don't forget the, the context and the historical setting, okay? Jesus compliments this Phoenician woman's faith. It's the statement to the disciples it's the statement to the nation of Israel and to all the world. His gift of salvation is for all people. And all people, Jew, Greek, Gentile, from Europe, from Africa, from the United States, all peoples of the world can have this strong faith in Christ. Jesus calls her faith great because, just in summary, Jesus calls her faith great because, one, it is desperate. It is desperate. Is your faith desperate? Is your faith desperate when it needs to be? You know, we're always desperate and hungry for the Lord. But when things go south and tragedy strikes, our faith needs to be desperate. Is your faith desperate? He calls our faith great because it is humble. You know, we should have a humble faith, meaning we're not arrogant, we're not prideful. We're humbly thankful for everything he's given us. And we say, Lord, I submit to your will. I submit to your authority. Lord, please work mightily in this situation. Her faith is holy. 
Is our faith holy? Do we recognize that Jesus is not only our Savior, but our Lord? Um, her faith is called, her faith is great because it's, it perseveres. You know, it continues. Faith, biblical faith, great faith, presses through the difficult situations. It presses through the hard times. And let me tell you something. It is hard as you know what. It is very difficult. It can be very challenging when you face difficult times and difficult situations. But Christian, you got to press through. you got to press through. This too shall pass, okay? we got to press through. we got to stay strong. we got to hold on to the reins and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you through this fire, through this difficulty. And then finally, uh, Jesus calls her faith great because it's worshipful. I hope I've given you some things to chew on this afternoon that you can ponder in your relationship with Christ. But this is what we want our faith to look like, desperate, humble, holy, persevering, and worshipful. So there we have it, verses 28. Let's finish up this passage. Verse 29. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of, sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet. And look at what he did. He healed them. I can only imagine what's going on in the mind of the disciples. They've seen what's happened with the Phoenician woman. Now they see all these healings. And look at verse 31. So the multitudes marveled, and they saw the mute speaking, and the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. There was a sense of awe and wonder that was grabbing the disciples' heart. Man, this Jesus, he is the real deal. He is setting people free. He is healing. I mean, imagine what's going on in their minds. They have eyewitnessed him healing the Phoenician woman. Now he's healing the multitudes. He's blowing their minds, and he's bringing hope. He's bringing hope to hopeless situations. You see, Jesus truly is the answer for everything. He is the answer for our sin. He is the answer for our disease. And he is the answer for any difficulty that comes your way. What challenge are you facing what difficulty are you facing? <clears throat> what is the obstacle that's standing in the way of you taking the next step with Christ? Jesus is there for you, okay? He is the answer to taking that next step of faith because he's an awesome God. And I think the disciples are experiencing this. It's euphoric. They're like, wow, this is amazing. And then verse 32, this is the second feeding we saw one a couple weeks ago. This is the, uh, the feeding of the 4,000. Verse 32 through 38. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitudes because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They're like, oh boy, here he goes again. <laughs> this is, here we go, here comes another miracle. And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitudes to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples 
gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled and took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now these who ate were 4,000 men beside the women and children. So the people, they're seeing miracle after miracle. He's putting actions behind his words. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus saves. Jesus forgives. Jesus delivers. Jesus heals. Jesus rescues. Jesus redeems. And according to the text, Jesus provides. Jesus says to us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He is everything for the believer. He is your whole life. He is everything. If you have, if you have Christ, you have everything. And then everything else in life, from our family to our friends to everything else, is just added bonuses. But if you have him, you have everything. And then finally, the final verse, verse 39, we're going to get through this passage. And he, he, he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Now, just a few little comments on verse 39. Jesus is focused. He's dialed in. He's on a mission. And even in verse 39, it's not a meaningless verse. Jesus is focused. He does three things. And I have a feeling, maybe, this is Pastor David's thought, I, I think I know what he's thinking. Because it says, first, he sent the multitude away. He's taking care of the multitudes. And then after he's taking care of the multitudes and the people, he gets into the boat, and then he goes to the region of Magdala. Now, why does he go there? Why does, why does Jesus go to Magdala? Yes, so I heard it. Jesus is now thinking, I've got to go find the person that I'm going to be the first person to introduce my resurrection to. Okay, who was the first person Jesus announced his bodily resurrection to on that Sunday morning? Her name was Mary Magdalene. Magdalene is not her last name. Magdalene is the name that represents the city that she was from. Mary Magdalene, who was set free from seven demons, is in this next city he's going to. So Jesus is blazing a trail. He's blazing a trail in ministry. So you have to take all four Gospels and push them together. And, and, and so you can see the whole picture. But all four of the Gospels... Even in this final verse, he's taking care of the multitudes. He doesn't go and rest. He gets in the boat and says, here I come, Mary Magdalene. I'm coming to set you free from those seven demons. And you're going to be the unique person that I am going to first announce my resurrection. She was the first witness on Easter Sunday morning. He told her, he says, you, Mary Magdalene, go and tell the disciples that's who she is. That's who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to close in prayer. And I'm just going to pray for application in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives today. That each of us that have been a part of this Bible study this morning, that we will apply what we've learned. And that we will ask the Holy Spirit to help us grow in our faith. Specifically in the faith of the Phoenician woman. That our faith is desperate, humble, holy, persevering, and worshipful. Will you join me in prayer? Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we've studied it. 
we've pulled it apart, and we've seen some beautiful, wonderful truths in our study. And Father, specifically looking at the Phoenician woman, Lord, help us to grow in our faith. Help us, Lord, to have great faith, Lord, that, that, that's desperate for you, that's humble and submits to you, that's holy and obeys you, that's persevering and that continues in life. And help us to have a faith that says, I will worship you, King Jesus. In your awesome and beautiful and wonderful name I pray, amen.